welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host. Joe is off for the next couple of weeks, and we have a couple of guests. And this week, we have Benji Harmon, senior contributor to Miles to Memories. And uh, Benji, you were on the show, what, a couple years ago? Uh, yeah, it's been about three years. I have scaled the Miles to Memories diamond paywall. It took me three years to do so since the last uh, podcast I was on up front here. So I'm carrying my bag of slightly less useful content and i'm here to here to have fun for people who don't know and what benji's referring to is he is like the head moderator of our diamond slack and also does the spending time show in our diamond patreon group and uh, so you're doing podcasts and you're in front of people all the time but not on the public podcast for a while so sorry uh we haven't had you we'll have to have you more often going forward because you have a lot of great information and we're going to talk about some of your posts and some of your history today but uh, it's been a, a fun ride the last few years with you writing for Miles to Memories. Kind of what? What did you start? Twenty uh, nineteen? Yeah, writing late, for Disney Hacks. Yes, late late two thousand nineteen, and then really got moving with Miles to Memories early in twenty twenty. Yep. And I met Benji at the Chicago seminars uh, where I was speaking. I don't even remember what I was speaking about uh, at that particular seminars, but. Uh, you came up to me after my talk, and it was right before lunch. So I was so I never like speaking like right before lunch, but anyway, you came up. We talked. We were talking about Disney, and I had just launched Disney Hacks, and we had a great conversation over lunch. And uh, I think you started writing for Disney Hacks, or that was your first post, and then you moved over to the Miles to Memory side, where yep, yep, you know you were very valuable because you are a heavy hitter, as they say in this hobby, somebody who likes to earn a lot of miles and points. It's all relative. I don't consider myself that because, you know, I think you and I both know uh, a lot of people who, who go much harder than I do. And I like to say I like to have fun and it fills up the day. And if I make a point or penny more due to this hobby, I'm happy with it. And for the Disney haters out there, of course, uh, Benji loves Disney, <laughs> just like everybody else. I promise that I don't like, it's not a requirement to write for the site that you love Disney. Obviously, Mark didn't love Disney. So, but you and Ryan Flanagan and uh, of course, Joe, all Disney lovers. So we're not going to talk about Disney at all in this podcast, but uh, it's good to know you're in the club. Yes. I will say very briefly, I, I enjoy Disney with our little ones at the age they are. It's right in our wheelhouse. If anything, I'm more an expert in trying to do it as close to free as possible. Not so much the minutia that Joe's into. Joe's a special case there in a positive sense. Once again, quick plug for Joe. If you didn't know already, he he knows what he's doing. And I rely on Joe for so much, and you should too. Absolutely. We love Joe, and we're so glad that uh, he has uh, had this like blossoming like side career as a, as a travel agent, which you know fed right into his Disney love. So... Again, uh, he'll be back in a couple weeks to defend himself, but uh, let's talk about your history with miles and points, Benji. Before we get into some of your recent articles, some of the things we want to talk about, we're going to talk about the hobby a lot today, about some ideas, maybe some things that you do different, and and honestly, things that you've convinced me of uh, to do different. So we'll talk about all of that, but how did you really start in miles and points? Was it, were you already traveling a lot and you found it that way, or... Did you find, find the hobby first and then your wide-ranging travel? I really started maybe uh, junior high uh, when my parents first put me on a plane to see my much older brother and sister. Back in the day, I don't even know if you can do this anymore, but I think I was in sixth or seventh grade the first time I traveled uh, all alone. And 
they didn't even declare me as an unaccompanied minor, I think. And I, I remember, I vividly remember transiting like the Pittsburgh airport uh, randomly uh, at that age. And I, I think looking back now, would parents ever do that? Maybe they still do it, but uh, times have changed a little bit. But uh, that's where it really began. That's where I got the travel bug, college. And then early, right after college, you know, I, I traveled a lot picked up frequent flyer accounts uh, and hit them uh, even harder. My first, uh, you know, travel cards, I think my first card was a United Mileage Plus uh, card at the time. I forget what it was even called at that point. Really went hard with, with, with the hobby at that point, primarily focused on the travel currencies there. So I don't want to step on anything you have <laughs> next for us here, but go ahead. So you were an unaccompanied minor. Did they have, did they actually like pay? Did, were you escorted by somebody or was it no, uh, and, were just and like I going through Pittsburgh airport? I shouldn't yourself? have even brought up that term because I don't think I even was declared to the airline. My parents just dropped me off and they got a good deal on a ticket and they knew I was transiting and all they, all, like I said, all they cared about is, Hey, they got a good deal on a ticket and they put me on the plane and I was good to go. I don't even know what airline it was at that point. It might, it was probably Southwest, but not sure uh, my memory goes back that far. Now I don't feel guilty for sending my son home from Germany when he was 15 all by himself, uh, flying uh, from, what, Frankfurt to uh, San Francisco to Las Vegas all by himself. And I could have flown with him, but I chose to fly out a day later just so he could have that experience uh, all by himself. Of course, he was old enough at the time to do it, uh, but it's still uh, a little crazy. But at least yeah. I didn't leave my little kid walking through. No, the times <laughs> have changed, right? Aren't yes. parents so overprotective these days compared to what they were when we were growing up? And you know, I can't talk there. You know, as with 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 two little girls, I'm 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 like that. So, yeah, you know, you, you get side eye if they're at the if if you know they walk home from the bus op, bus stop that type of thing. Uh, at, yeah, at the double standards age. with boys and girls. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm crazy I, I, too. I'm fully aware of my own limitations there and biases. So that's that's half the half the battle. So when did you really get heavy into the hobby, really kind of looking at different ways to spend, the different cards, analyzing? Because you have this brain where you love to analyze everything. And I guess we should talk about this, you know, that you're a fire. So you, you know, basically retired early. You write for us and we're grateful you do, but that's not your job or you don't have a, a full-time job. So this hobby is really uh, something that you've embraced and you're very analytical and you love to look at you know, the, the fine print and you love to analyze stuff. And that's one of your greatest strengths and what we love about what you do at Miles to Memories. When did you really get that hardcore into the hobby? It's been a slow build ever since after uh, college, basically, and picking up certain cards. I guess I'd say it reached a different level about maybe, uh, let's see, wow, looking back now, maybe about uh, uh, 12 years ago where I started uh, pushing a bit harder and being more aggressive with uh, certain uh, actions and plays. I, I look back at that time, even it's not too long ago, 12 years ago, how easy certain things were. New cards just came in uh, like candy. And, you know, it, this was before the the time of really hardcore rules. But uh, when, once I hit my financial independence number, and we relocated. I had a little bit more time to focus even more and take it to an even higher level at that point. And uh, so that's where we're at now, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, I like to say that I'm in the rewards hobby. I'm not in the travel rewards hobby. I think that's uh, a big key in, in my strategy. Well, let's dive into that a little bit more. On the last show, we talked a lot about cashing in points or when you were here a few years ago. And I've talked about it uh, off and on here on the show. I cashed in Oh, I don't even want to say it, Benji, a million American Express membership rewards points a couple months ago. 
uh, with my Schwab Platinum. That's something I completely attribute to you because uh, it's not something I really did often before, but there's no doubt that there's value there. And when points are kind of sitting there unused, uh, the cash value can be quite you know, beneficial for just travel, for other expenses to invest. And what's the value of that investment over time? So there's a lot of ways to think about rewards. And I think a lot of people, you know, get stuck in the travel mindset. I know I'm a traveler. And so for years, it was this is my travel, quote unquote, money, right? This was my currency to travel to take the trips I wanted. And, you know, I guess in some cases, you can earn more than you actually need to travel. But a lot of people still have a firewall between their travel rewards and thinking of them as cash back. Have you seen more people kind of evolve to your way of thinking when it comes to earning points, kind of cashing them out? and not using them as much for travel or trying to find the balance? Or do you still think the hobby is stuck in that re travel rewards or for travel mindset? I think, uh, obviously, the, the pandemic was the catalyst for a lot of people to rethink the philosophy. Uh, I think we're, we're still stuck there uh, at a certain point, you know, where, where, where people are still attracted to the sexy redemption, for lack of a better term. I'd been focused on the reward side of it more than anything since, you know, maybe a few years before I quit my job. Frankly, I, I feel like that at a certain point, and it's highly personal, how we earn and redeem is a highly personal decision. For us, we had done plenty of uh, travel, both internationally and domestically. Uh, my wife and I, before we had kids, we had kids relatively late in life. And you know what, we, we really done everything we wanted to do internationally uh, at that point in our life. With our children, we don't have the sense of urgency, at, the, at least at the age they are now, uh, uh, to go uh, be globetrotters. Uh, so we're keeping it relatively simple right now at the ages they're at. And quite frankly, you know, as, as part of this whole process, we end up with uh, the, the fortunate problem of having way more balances than we need with all the, with all the travel currencies. Like I said, about maybe 10 years ago, we focused, started focusing more on bank points and transfer, transferable currencies and immediately cashing out uh, those bank points uh, for things we can uh, use it for more immediately. Because, you know, I think, I think we idealize the travel aspect of this. It's, 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 it's something to aspire to, definitely. But uh, I think it's sort of silly for uh, individuals to, dare I say it, listen to pe people like uh, uh, you or me, Sean. And, you know, uh, uh, sometimes they might idealize that vacation uh, where they're going to stay at a park Hyatt in 18 months if they can just get the time off. And, oh, by the way, the the uh, rewards rates are still the same. Uh, so I'm a big advocate of using rewards currencies uh, more immediately for uh, in, to have the biggest impact more near term uh, than anything. There is a place for travel, um, but take it into account with everything else you're trying to accomplish with, with, with your goals in your life. Yeah, there's a lifestyle creep with this hobby, too. And I can see both sides of this argument, right? Because uh, there are always opportunities to earn points and miles, especially the last couple of years. We talk about American Express, no lifetime language offers all the time. And, you know, they've been basically handing out points to people who really have been aggressive with them for years. And so there seemingly is always another carrot in front of you. And, you know, when you're thinking about it in terms of cash or, you know, some people are using this to build retirement. Uh, they're using it to renovate their houses, they're doing other things. So it's not just something, uh, a singular vision for it, but uh, it can be easy to sign up, keep pushing yourself further and further to earn more if you start looking at his cash, where I can see somebody who's not wanting to get so deep into the hobby 
kind of like, okay, well, I take two trips a year. I'm just going to get what I need for that. And, you know, are they wrong? Probably not. It really depends. I guess, like you said, everybody's goals are different. And I guess their level of involvement in all of this is different. Uh, we know a lot of people in our Diamond Lounge, hardcore about this stuff. They love finding the plays. They love finding different ways to earn. They love keeping track of all the bonuses and the new cards. But a lot of people, you know, they just want to get one card a year or two cards a year, maybe save on that big trip, save on airfare. And, I, you know, I don't argue with them at all. I think that it's important to kind of set goals and to know what you want from this hobby, right? It's kind of crazy to be out there. And I know in the beginning for me, I was out there just kind of jumping from deal to deal, kind of going crazy. Oh, this card was, has this 80,000 point bonus. Let me get that without a plan. And it gets a little chaotic. And then at certain times it can get overwhelming. Agreed. It's the whole Donald Rumsfeld. We don't know what we don't know when we start. Right. And a lot of people are just, it, it's, it can be overwhelming in a good way to, to not know the vast scope of what we can do with the various rewards currencies. And I think it's key uh, to ask yourself the hard questions of, you know, what do I want to do? What am I trying to accomplish? What are my goals with all these rewards currencies? Um, I like to think that, you know, if someone was given a bucket of, of points or miles, what have you, uh, one night, the next morning, it's not like they uh, automatically wanted to go to the Maldives or Ventana Big Sur or the Waldorf Astoria Cabo. Uh, you know, it's 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 more of a, okay, you're still who you are, and this is going to get touchy-feely a, a bit, but, you know, when you, you need to be secure with your identity and know what you want to accomplish uh, big picture in your life, whether that's near-term or long-term, and points and miles and all the different currencies can play into that. And as long as you're constantly evaluating and, and revalidating your goals periodically, no matter how you uh, uh, redeem to meet those goals, you're never wrong. You're being true to yourself. And I think that's the biggest key here. Yeah, and that's uh, important. I think in, it's not just the miles and points community and online communities in general. There's a lot of groupthink. There's a lot of judgment. And I think at MTM, we've definitely tried to go away from that, certainly in our groups and trying to open it up to everybody and different ideas. And just because there's groupthink doesn't necessarily mean that the groupthink is bad or good, right? For some people, going to the Maldives is, you know, crazy, and they're just never going to consider it. But for other people, getting those types of redemptions that they never would have been able to do otherwise is fulfilling in a, in a different way. So it all hits people, you know, differently here. Uh, but groupthink can be bad when it turns negative. And there are some aspects of our hobby, I feel like, that have been negative, that sort of shame people for thinking differently. I feel like it's gotten a lot better, or maybe I've just sort of found my way to the positive people in the community and shuttered myself from the negative. I think maybe that's the case because I see in our groups, not just in our private diamond lounge, but also in the public group, there are a lot of people who are positive that just want to celebrate the fact that we all love to travel. And, you know, in our meetups, it's so important. It's so cool. It's so cool to meet people and talk to people who have traveled as much as this group has, people in this hobby have, who can relate to the world and to travel and even to flying business class, maybe, I don't know, in a way that other people, normal people can't. I can't really go talk to, to normal people about that uh, because they don't have the same experience. And even the sort of couple people I know who stay in fancy hotels, they're paying for them. So they don't understand the joy of going someplace and staying in a fancy place and not spending any money and so, yeah, it's a great to have, you know, the community, but it's great to have the positive aspects and to be accepting. And I feel like that's your 
brand is I'm going to show you a different way to look at this, but I'm going to allow you to make that decision for yourself. And I wish there was more of that type of content in this community because I want to be told different ways to think. I want to be exposed to that stuff, but I also want to be free to be myself and find my own way here. And there's so much possibility for what you can do. Like we said, cash out, travel, Maldives or the Hampton Inn, you know, in Cleveland, Ohio, whatever works for you is great. And if it makes your life better, it's great. And, you know, that's uh, a message I hope we see more in the community. And, and to your point, Sean, you know, what I'm talking about, like I said, is, is, is right for what I do. Someone could redeem for those areas you talked about might be more sexy redemption for travel. And uh, I can delight in what they're doing in that they're reaching uh, the pinnacle of what they want to do. It may not be right for me, but I can celebrate what they're doing and, and uh, find some sort of fulfillment that, you know, if I played a role, uh, you know, it's, it's great to see that happen. And if he doesn't agree, he just quietly shames you. Or at least he does that to me. He doesn't do that to anybody else. But I get the quiet, the quiet shame. The when's the last time the I shamed you? Rolling my eyes Sean? emoji. When's the last time I shamed you that you only cashed out a million uh, membership rewards? Is that the last time yeah. I shamed you? Yeah, you're still not happy. I have two million okay. uh, left you're, in there. You're a work in progress. I want to see you redeem one of each denomination on that Schwab counter. That's what I want to see the next time you cash out. Every possible denomination I want to see you cash out. Oh, my uh, my stomach is getting tight at the thought <laughs> of that. But I'm, I, I'm working and I'm evolving. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about uh, a post that you did about evolving, because I think that's what's really important. But I did want to talk about, you know, this hobby and sort of the analytical side of it, analyzing deals, analyzing different ways to earn points, you know, different opportunities that come. It can be even the aspirational side, like constantly looking at hotels and different trips you're dreaming of, it can get tiring and the hobby can get old. You know, you can get bored with it. A lot of people do that, right? They come in the miles and points, they do it for a couple of years, they move on to something else. Nothing wrong with that. I think, like I said, for somebody who's very casual, the best strategy would be to plug in just a little bit enough to kind of get the points to maybe save on some hotel and airfare for your one or two trips a year. That's better than nothing. But uh, how do you keep the hobby interesting where, you know, you don't burn out on all this stuff, where you don't burn out on looking at the deals, where you don't burn out on, oh, I should get this, but it really doesn't make sense. Or, you know, just spinning your wheels as we often do on redemption side, on earning side, on everything. This might sound like a remarkably simple answer, but I just want to focus on what uh, I, I, I obtain joy doing. If it's fun for me, I will probably spend more time on it than if it is not fun. Uh, for that reason, I've turned down doing uh, certain things uh, and I've said yes to maybe some other things that other people might consider mundane, but I enjoy. Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm not a fan of uh, air finding uh, award flights and the extent that some people uh, in our group, both on the crew and uh, members, and also out there readers, what they go to to uh, uh, obtain, uh, uh, you know, saver fares and discounted fares on award tickets, I have zero interest in or close to zero. I'd rather spend that time doing things to earn more points. And, uh, you know, it's been that way for years and so far so good. We're doing all right. And uh, that's just one example. On the flip side, I'll talk about buyer's groups, right? That's something, or even gift card reselling, reselling in general, that's something that you've never been interested in that doesn't work within your wheelhouse. And I haven't done buyer's clubs as much as some others. I obviously do reselling on a big scale, 
but we've talked to people in the Diamond Group on our Diamond Spotlight who have done crazy amounts of spend via buyers groups, which is just establishing a business, buying merchandise, selling it to a group. So there's nothing crazy about it. Uh, but again, you don't find it interesting. So it is an opportunity to earn a lot of points, but not something that's in your wheelhouse. And where is the line? Is it just really, does it really come down to what's fun for you? Or are there any other sort of calculations in there? I, I guess it feeds back into that. And my answer might be a bit of a cop out there, but if I start losing control, like direct control over what I'm doing and the more people that get involved, and especially if I don't know them, that's where I get a little more appreh- apprehensive. And uh, when it gives me, when, when, when the worry overtakes the fun, I really, you know, that's where I'm out. And sometimes I see those things coming uh, ahead uh, and don't even get into that activity. Uh, sometimes it's okay. I might dip my toes and say, oh, it's not for me. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with the, the, I like to see the immediate, uh, I say immediate impact, but I like to be the one driving that impact, right? I don't ha- I don't like to be reliant on others to hold up their end of the deal, especially if I don't know them. So that obviously cuts me out of a lot of opportunities. So I want to talk a, a little bit more about some ways that you've changed your travel and some of the things you've changed your opinions on over the years, because I feel like that sort of discussion helps people understand the different sides of, of different issues. But before we do that, you've been heavy into... Uh, like I said before, the American Express No Lifetime Language offers. You've written a lot about the different offers on platinum cards, gold cards. You know, on the site, you're often referring to these deals. And here we are in April of 2023, and the offers are still coming. The points seem to still be flowing. I guess I'll ask you this in two parts. Do you think people are really missing opportunities by not pursuing these No Lifetime Language offers more aggressively? Something I was guilty of. For part of the pandemic, I didn't really start, you know, being more aggressive with them until a year ago or so. Or do you think these are going to keep going on? How do you see this all sort of playing out? I think when they started, we all said, oh, this can't last. But it's been years now that they've had these really generous offers and they don't seem to be slowing down. First off, I want to say something that I, I don't want to take credit for. Uh, I'm sure other people have said it, but something I've always I've believed for years now is that no matter what you're doing, no matter what I'm doing, there's always someone else going harder with AMX. That's something I really believe. And do I use that to justify my actions? Perhaps, maybe a bit. But that said, I feel like AMX is is, is uh, very forgiving, uh, relatively speaking to other banks, uh, for what we do. And if anything, I, I think... Uh, I can scale up even more. And, you know, I know people that do things that I'm not comfortable doing. Everyone has a different line. And that gets back to the, uh, it, it really gets to your, uh, how much you want to avert risk or absorb risk and what you do. But that said, I feel like Amex really puts out feelers as far as, or I shouldn't say feelers, but uh, they, they give hints on uh, what they're okay with and what they're not okay with. You just need to be willing to listen. There's a nuance, I think, with Amex there where they have uh, what they, you know, what they, uh, the general understanding is and what you can actually do. And it's not just unique to Amex there. I just feel like Amex is the most, uh, uh, has the most uh, uh, flexibility there of all the different banks for what, uh, what we do uh, to achieve high uh, amounts of uh, points and miles and cash back. And, you know, uh, if you're, if you're doing things the right way, and you, you feel true to yourself, like I said, I keep saying true to yourself, but if you own your decisions 
and they're reasoned and you take calculated risks, risks, you can hold your head high. If anything happens, uh, you know, you could say, hey, I knew the risks coming into something. And, you know, it, you, you can't win if you don't play. And you can't uh, win big if you don't play hard. And I truly believe that. So if, if we're scared of our own shadows in this hobby and we're apprehensive, sure, you know, we can play nice, but you can't necessarily win as big. There's all different types of, uh, of levels, right? You know, just because I do something at a certain level doesn't mean someone else needs to. Or, you know, I can understand uh, people not uh, biting off more than they can chew. And I think that's actually a huge part of getting into this hobby and, and scaling up is not getting in over your head, uh, taking it nice and slow. And uh, I like to I like to say, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Yeah, and in the case of the Amex offers that they're giving you, where let's say you're getting an email offer or a snail mail offer, uh, and this happens all the time. I get them every few weeks now. Uh, I have a business platinum card. I have more than one business platinum card. So does my wife, several different businesses. But they say, get another business platinum card. Get another blue business plus card I just got a targeted offer for. So it's not like they don't know that I already have the card. Uh, they're doing some calculations and you know, there were some more advanced ways. I think there were some offers for authorized users uh, with past offers where people were able to scale that up to crazy levels. And I never did any of that, but I feel like I did miss some opportunity just taking advantage of these signup bonuses uh, because the good thing with American Express is once you're in with them, there's two things, right? They have the pop-up to tell you, hey, you've been too aggressive with us, which means, okay, I'm not going to get approved or I'm not going to get the bonus. But also once you're in with them, right, they don't even run your credit most of the time. It's really easy to get approved as long as you stay within their, you know, known limits of what, 10 charge cards and five credit cards or is it, is it back to four or is it five? Still? It's five. And that's, and, and to be clear, that's just a general guideline, right? You know, there's exceptions, you know, I, yeah. I, we, I'm sure we both know people that are over each of those. Yeah. And there's upgrade offers and there's other offers. So American Express has been more aggressive, I think, than any of the other banks in trying to say, you're my customer. I like you. You know, I want to get you deeper into my ecosystem, which, you know, provides some opportunity, but also to your point, it can be overwhelming. I can't, you know, for a lot of people, these business platinum offers, let's say the 150K ones that have been coming regularly, you know, they have 15,000 spend in three months. That's a lot of spend for a lot of people. So don't get in over your head, but, you know, be, I think, open to those. And, you know, in the case of the business platinum cards, they don't even show up on your credit for 524. So there are some really good plays there as well. And uh, you've written about a lot of the great benefits of the platinum and your FHR stays. So there's a lot on the site about Amex Platinum and your fun with all these offers over the last couple of years. Yeah. And I think uh, I just want to hop back, Sean, to one thing you said about what one person is comfortable doing and maybe another person isn't. That said, when you're, you are targeted for an offer with Amex that may not uh, jive with their overall general rules that you've been led to understand over the years, the fact that you're targeted, I think, should bring uh, a, a certain level of ease to what uh, to the situation versus randomly trying uh, some backdoor uh, to do something in a different way. That might be a little more risky uh, than something you're targeted for. That said, if you can absorb the risk, those things that you might not necessarily be targeted for, you might find a time here or there where you might want to pursue those things. But my my feeling is, especially if I'm targeted for something, if if it doesn't match up perfectly with the uh, official Amex uh, guidelines or rules, dare I say it, 
I'm not worried too much about it if I'm targeted. And that's, you know, we all have a different line and that line can change for each of us uh, depending on uh, the time frame we are in the hobby. Yeah, and we're just talking about our personal experiences and beliefs and, you know, our experiences with this bank that we have these relationships. I feel like in this hobby, one thing that you develop more than just the average Joe out on the street is these personal relationships with these banks, right? Even though they have no real personal relationship with you, you're so caught up in their different offers and deals and just looking at it all the time. And not to mention your own relationship with their points and their cards that on some level, it feels very personal. I know it does for me. And so, yeah, it can, it can be easy to get caught up in that. I did want to talk about uh, this article you wrote recently, Better Late Than Never, what you're doing now to improve your travel, because it involves several flip-flops, Benji, and uh, you know several that I'm guilty of as well. So there's some in-depth stuff, but let's start. You start with mobile boarding pass, and this is one of those like recent travel things. I was somebody who always printed. I went to the airport. I printed the boarding pass. Uh, I didn't print it at home or anything, but I went right to the machine's here in Las Vegas, they have those machines that cover all the airlines printed out. I always wanted a paper copy. And it just it's taken to the last couple of years where I finally gave up on that. And, you know, they finally, I think, have, you know, you go to TSA now, you most of the time you don't even need a boarding pass. You just give them your ID. And, you know, the Internet's gotten better. I feel more comfortable with it. Are we just like Luddites that we waited so long to, to switch on this? Did the rest of the world switch over to mobile boarding passes a decade ago and you know, we were the last few holding those pieces of paper. Well, it's nice to hear, Sean, that you're a, a printed boarding pass guy, at least up until recently. I thought I was alone there. I know there's a few diehards out there. I'm in a similar position where I think this is even a callback to an article I wrote last year where I was talking about all my stubborn dad moves as far as things I, I'm ancient on. And printing boarding passes was one of those things. And now it's it's to the point, for the reasons you mentioned, where uh, I'm having to flash it one time to get on the plane and really am I, you know, I do plenty of walking around airports as it is. That's one less workout I need. And if anything, another dad move gets me in the way sometimes of, of getting a boarding pass or checking in, in, in our midsize, dare I say, maybe small airport. I'm so early to the airport sometimes where the, the counter or the uh, kiosk isn't even open yet to check in at the gate to print a boarding pass. So it's sort of silly. Uh, my stubbornness to get to the airport early, uh, you know, I, I sort of adopted in, in some ways the uh, mobile boarding pass because uh, that was the uh, simplest solution and cut out a lot of the nonsense. Wow, you and I are complete opposites when it comes to that. I want to get to the airport as the last minute possible. And at McCarran here in Las Vegas, I have it timed. I know the airport well enough that I can usually guess within about 10 minutes of when I'll get to the gate. So I usually give myself about a 10-minute buffer. Uh, and more often than not, I'm walking up, you know, five minutes before boarding. I don't care that we have a Centurion Lounge. I don't care that we have anything. I want to stay home, get to the airport at the last second possible. Now, I do have a, a good friend who I fly with all the time, much more paranoid uh, like you. And he gets there. Not that you're paranoid, but he likes to get there early because he's paranoid about everything. I'm like, I'll, I'll see you at the gate five minutes before and uh, he's gotten used to it, but it's, I, I don't get, I don't get how often, what's the, what is it? Three hours before? When do you get there? Uh, obviously, you know, it's a bit of a moving target, right? As far as connections go, definitely three hours. I shoot for three hours if I have to have a connection. Uh, I do shoot for the first flight out in the morning most of the time because the plane's usually there from overnight. Nonetheless, I still try to get a good start there. 
but yeah, I think I leave uh, I leave about maybe two and a half to three hours before my flight. It's sort of silly, and but it's something I do. Now that and I just like, made my whole grandstand, you know I'm going to miss a flight at some point, and I'm going to have to eat those words. Well, there you go. You, yeah, you're pushing your luck, but I guess that's sort of the that's the juice, right? If if no one's caught on yet, I, I do have a little bit of extra time on my hands. That's the luxury I have in in in, in the life uh, stage I'm in. Uh, so uh, I try to enjoy the time uh, the right way, and to me, that's just taking it easy and rushing around. Sort of gets me a little bit more queasy, and uh, you know, I like to take it nice and slow. Yeah, and it really does depend on the airport security, all of that. I at home, I know that we can get through security really quick and those early morning flights are the worst benji you know i always think when i book them oh it's not so bad it's at 7 a.m but it really means like a 4 a.m start and so even on those flights i really really try to cut it close especially when i'm coming from home we do those early flights often and uh yeah i'm trying to get get there as quickly i don't you know i don't want breakfast in the lounge i don't want any of it i just want that extra 30 minutes of sleep or whatever but man early flights are as bad as red eyes well, agreed. And like, I think they're worse than red eyes. I mean, of course, that's probably the worst feeling in the whole world is the alarm going off like at 3.30 or 4 in the morning. But what I've found is once I'm up, I enjoy that time of travel during the day, that time of day for traveling more than any other time. But the key is just getting up and getting uh, getting vertical. All right. So next on your list was the Delta Sky Clubs and I guess lounge access in general and I guess you've uh, been getting access to Delta from your Amex Platinum card. And I know you mentioned how nice the club is in Atlanta and some of the other clubs. I haven't been to a Delta Sky Club in a few years. I've seen the pictures and the new product looks amazing. I will say American and United have also put together some really great lounges the last few years. They've up, I mean, just compared to where it was five, seven years ago with these lounges, things are so much better. Uh, but you never were a lounge guy, and now you're sort of buying into the to the Sky Club. Well, to be clear, I've I've always enjoyed lounges, but I've just recently got around to Sky Clubs because I never really had a, a need to visit those up until maybe a year ago. I just didn't cross paths of big uh, Delta hubs uh, based on uh, where we live. I only only last year was the first time I visited a, a, a Delta Sky Club in Boston, and it was it was a small one. I think it was actually under renovation at the time, but I was still impressed by the spread and maybe this is setting expectations really low you know with with domestic airlines regardless of what it is i try to set a really low bar and be pleasantly surprised and you know i enjoyed that but i'm finding myself backing into this dalliance with uh finding uh uh, not finding but uh, when when i had the chance to to cross a fairly good sized domestic airline lounge i'm sort of stopping to enjoy them a bit more whether it's like I said, the the Sky Club in in Atlanta and Terminal B, you know, I think I, I want to check out. I think there's an American uh, Admirals Club in in LaGuardia that's relatively new. I'd like to check out, and you know, uh, I think I'm flying uh, flagship first on American from JFK to LAX in a few months, and uh, I'm excited to uh, to visit the the Chelsea Lounge there for uh, uh, first class. So you know, like I said, the lounges are still much better overseas. Uh, large, but nonetheless, right now we're traveling more domestically than internationally, and I'm going to try to enjoy the experience more. And part of that is the Delta Sky Clubs. It's so funny because I've held those, you know, uh, platinum cards for years, but just now getting around to using those benefits. Yeah, me too. I've still never 
gone into a Delta Sky Club with my Platinum card. It's mainly because I'm either not flying Delta or I'm not alone and the other person doesn't have it. That's been the case, but I don't fly Delta often because uh, Las Vegas, we don't have it. And, you know, one of the good plays for American Airlines, Admirals Club access is getting to be an authorized user on an American Airlines executive card. You know, there's some people out there who have authorized users. You can have up to 10 and then kind of split the cost of the card. And that's something that I've done. So I've had that executive card for years, got it kind of, I think, right before COVID, of course. And, you know, I've kept it and I hadn't used it and I kept forgetting to bring it with me. And finally, when I was in Miami a couple of months ago or for that last cruise that we just did, I I got to use it. So I was so proud after dumping, you know, like forty nine dollars a year into that thing. So I got to I got to get better at maximizing the clubs. But I, like I said, I hate being in the airport. I'd rather not be in the airport. But let's talk about AA elite status, because that's something you sort of flipped on a little bit, too. Last year, you went spending crazy with the loyalty points, which is a kind of a new way you can earn American Airlines status. You don't necessarily need to fly as much anymore as you used to. Shopping portal bonuses, other stuff count towards that. And so you earned your executive platinum status, what, last fall, with the calculation that you'd have about 18 months to have it through early 2024. So you did all that, and then you turned around and said, but I'm not going to do it again this year. And that's right. And that's not because I don't enjoy it, but frankly, based on already having the status and the way the status years are laid out and the qualification, doing the same or making the same effort this year, uh, I would only add 12 months of status versus the effort I did last year uh, earned 18 months of status. So that's primarily the big reason I didn't. I'm not planning to this year. That said, I feel like the whole loyalty points scheme that American introduced, I think it's ingenious. Overnight, you had people that started caring about uh, American elite status that really never even thought of it before. And I'm one of those people. And of course, it had to, the timing had to be right. There's an intersection of events and opportunities that made it sort of a no-brainer for me to pursue Long story short, there was no opportunity cost uh, uh, that I gave up obtaining this status. I didn't lose out on other earning opportunities based on the spending I did, which is a big part of hitting uh, Executive Platinum with loyalty points. Uh, I did use the shopping portal some, but primarily it was spending. And, you know, it's it, it was a fun experiment. Part of the fun was seeing if I could do it. I did it. I reached that uh, pinnacle, and uh, now I'm enjoying it. And I'll enjoy it for the 18 months I have it. And then I'll probably want to break by the end of it anyway to do something else. And, you know, I got some premium travel on United lined up as well and plenty of opportunities to do that. Moving around the different uh, uh, domestic air, uh, flagship carriers of the U.S. and, you know, enjoying trying to enjoy the positives while maybe accepting some of the negatives along the way. Yeah, I'm on the opposite side. I'm losing my executive platinum status here in a few days uh, that I was gifted from Hyatt in 2019. And... I haven't used it all that much because just like Delta, American doesn't have a hub here. So I got to connect through their hub cities and I have better options, especially on Frontier the last couple of years when I had their status. Uh, But uh, I was glad to book one last award down to Miami for our Virgin Voyages later this week. And I got an upgrade. The bad part, though, is the flights are so expensive down to Florida right now. uh, And we had to book this last minute because we just booked the cruise that we had to do, we talked about red eyes, right? So I'm combining a, a fake red eye with an early morning flight and meaning that we leave here in Las Vegas at midnight, fly to Dallas, get to Dallas at 5 a.m. So that's like 3 a.m. here. 
And then there's like a 7 a.m. flight from Dallas to Miami, which was an embarrassing number of points, but my best deal compared to like just astronomical, like almost thousand dollar cash rates for a lot of the other stuff, which translates it in, which translated into crazy amount of miles. Uh, but uh, anyway, my my upgrades cleared. So the and the good news is there's a triple seven from Dallas to Miami. So I had to sell it to Jasmine. Be like, well, at least we're in first class on the way down to Miami, and you get a lie flat from Dallas to Miami. Forget about the fact that it's only like a two and a half hour flight. So you won't be able to really sleep. So we're going to be miserable there. But I was glad to finally get one last upgrade. How have the upgrades been for you with your executive platinum status? Uh, pleasantly surprised. I did have high hopes and they've exceeded them. I've uh, been upgraded the vast majority of our flights. And to be clear, I only book or virtually always book award tickets. I don't ever pay cash for, for airfare. I think I've done it once in the past 15 years and that was for Breeze. But other than that, I always fly on award tickets, and I've been upgraded the majority of the time on all, all of our uh, my uh, American flights. That's worked out great, so I'm looking forward to, to more. Like I said, I, I booked into first class on flagship first just because I wanted to be sure to lock that in, and I, I paid a bunch of miles for that, and that gets back to the whole, you know, I'd rather uh, I'd rather be earning points, not looking for deals nonstop on these flights. Yeah, and I should say I used AA miles to book the flight, I think it was like 15 and a half thousand AA miles, whereas all the other options were 40 to 50,000 for coach one way. And uh, I'm so glad that American upgrades on award tickets now compare, because that was another thing under the old program that it really didn't do. So that's so nice to be able to do that, to burn those. And, you know, talking about the deals, I talked on the show a few weeks ago with Joe about when I went to Cabo, another last minute trip. And I just used United and it was nice to do it. The price wasn't the cheapest. It wasn't a great deal to get down there, but I have all that United Travel Bank credit from the Platinums. And, you know, we've talked about this before, me and you personally, that's there to use, right? So yeah, maybe I'd love to use it on a $200 round trip flight to Cabo, but that didn't happen. And I had the credit sitting there. Boom, it's done. It felt good. And I can move on to finding the deals will come at the right time. But sometimes you just want to travel and being able to do that uh, is good to have. And and so another credit to you on the on the travel bank, because I'm not sure if you listened to that uh, to that episode or not. But uh, you got me there, too. You, you were really you were literally in my head as I was like, oh, my God, those flights are expensive. And I'm like, no, nope, that's what the credit's there for. And, and I guess it's nothing groundbreaking. But I, I will say one more time that when you have a lot of travel bank it becomes even more useful. That sounds really Captain Obvious, but you can really do some big things uh, when you have a higher balance in your travel bank and really do some fun things. And that's what I'm exploring more too down the road. Of course, the stupid thing about my Cabo trip was I had United Silver status from before COVID that also got extended, but it had just expired. And I hadn't flown United in year, probably four years ever since I had that status. And then it expired. And then a few weeks later, I'm flying them down to Cabo. I'm not sure if I would have gotten an upgrade or not, but uh, oh well. You know, it's the fun of playing this status games. And I think, you know, you make a point in your post that uh, it can be exciting at first and you're not going to be as excited a year in as you were on day one. And sometimes you need a change, like you said, and that's okay. I, I think it's fun for playing the game. I've written about status matches, I don't know, eight or nine years now. Uh, some of my first ones were, you know, flying to Paraguay for American status, which I wouldn't recommend doing. But it was fun at the time. And then, 
you know, parlaying that into a match to Alaska status and then other things. And I took that same status for four years and matched it around. And I've done other things similar. We've I've talked a lot about Frontier uh -huh. and my status match there and how beneficial that's been. Status is fun, but it's not required, right? I mean, it's fun when you have it, but don't go too crazy to get it and make sure you're getting the value uh, for the effort that you're putting in. Exactly. And that's why I didn't get American Airlines Executive Platinum, because how could I tell myself I'm flying them once a year? How could it really be worth it to me? Agreed. And I, I truly believe all in moderation, and I believe that applies to everything but mileage and points earning. Just go as hard as you can there. All right. And the last thing before we go, I wanted to talk about free night of rewards, certificates. And, you know, you used to not be so for these and you wrote an article about how you flipped on them. And I think you make a lot of good points because free night certificates for a long time, you know, had a lot of restrictions. I mean, they still do. But it seems like over the last few years, probably because of COVID, they've become more flexible and more beneficial. And it seems like based on your article, you're using them a lot more, you're earning them a lot more, and they're helping you kind of keep control of your hotel point balances because you're not burning the points as much. And uh, agreed. Yeah, that's 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 one angle to it where uh, with some might think it's heresy to say carry a hotel point balance. We're at the stage of our lives where we like, I think I heard Randy Peterson call it the travel IRA, right? We like to have plenty of uh, airline mile and hotel point balances for the long term and to draw them down reasonably uh, for economical stays. And what we've found for our current travel uh, uh, speed with the uh, wealth of free night starts across the brands, uh, especially Hilton on my end, that's my, my favorite, we're able to satisfy the vast majority of our travel needs for as, as far as lodging goes with free night certs right now and rarely touching uh, point balances. And that means uh, the domino, next domino to fall there is when we do need to touch our point balances, we can be a little more lax in how we use them and be a little more liberal and pay, uh, you know, more, maybe, uh, dare I say it, inflated uh, point rates. You know, if we want that uh, stay at a special property, we'll, we'll take it and we won't look back. And just being able to have that flexibility with our points balances on the on the uh, hotel point side is huge. And you also point out how free night certificates have gotten better over the last few years, right? Hilton, they did away. It used to be a weekend night certificate. Marriott, Bonvoy has added the ability to top off your certificates up to 15,000 points over. IHG has added the ability to top off your certificates if you have their co-branded credit cards. Hyatt, I feel like, is the one that hasn't made it any better because they made their Category 8 huge and they have no certificate that covers Category 8. But uh, I guess in general, they've had pretty good certificates overall. But there's a lot of opportunity there, a lot of ways to earn. And yeah, they're definitely something to be looking at. And especially for people who don't travel that often, I feel like if you can stack up a few of those Hilton certs, I mean, the value is incredible. We've talked about Waldorf Cabo and you know all those aspirational places. But even with hotel rates just being where they are, going to a major city, I used one at Conrad, New York City, last uh, year. And that's like a $700 a night hotel. So the value is incredible. And if you're not traveling all that much, you may not need to use a whole lot of hotel points. So definitely don't overlook the certificates, I think, because they are incredibly valuable, both for getting aspirational properties and also just for, like you said, keeping those points in the bank. And then you use those when you have to use them, even if it's not the best deal, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've been able to kind of preserve those. Yeah. I mean, I feel like looking back, 
I, I know I wrote at the height of COVID about, you know, the prison of having too many hotel free night certs, even when they were extending all the, the deadlines and all that, there's, there were still unknowns about, you know, when is this going to end? And I feel like they've gotten better since then you, for all the reasons you mentioned, and we'll keep going with them. And, uh, I think what's interesting to see is how free night certs are embedded into uh, welcome offers these days. And that makes us all think about them from a different angle. So do you think that Hilton is going to put the restriction back eventually on weekend nights for their certificates? Or do you think these crazy valuable, unlimited value, any property certificates are going to stick around long term? I feel like with the level of announcement they made about how it was permanent and they, they sort of pounded their chest a little bit on that. I feel like we have at least a few years where it's going to stay the way it is. I don't think they would have done that just to uh, nerf it uh, a year later. Uh, inevitably, I'm sure it'll change, but, you know, I'll, I'll ride the wave while I can. And, you know, Marriott has Marriott and IG have sort of improved, like you said. There's still some gotchas with those, but I'm a Hilton fanboy all the way uh, in many different ways, not just with the certs. Those Hilton certs are butter. They're just absolute <laughs> butter. That's right. They're great. They're wonderful. And you can actually earn a decent amount of them with the Hilton cards. And yeah, I I do love my my Hilton certs. And I'm out. So I got to start working on uh, some new ones because I just blew my last one at the Waldorf Cabo, which uh, I know that you're going to shame me for. But that's Oh, no, 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 no. That happened months ago. You know, I already shamed you about that. (laughs) All right, Benji. Now, you're not on social media you do write on the site milestomemories.com a few times a week. Where can people find you? They can email you if they want to t- discuss things with you, comment on your posts. What's the best way to reach you? Yes, comment on posts. You can reach out via email, benji at milestomemories.com. And that's it. I uh, enjoy not being uh, contactable. Um, but if you want to put an effort in, you can reach me. And those in our Diamond Patreon group know Benji well because he's on our Spending Time podcast, which we do twice a month, not only on it, he leads our Spending Time podcast, also does our member spotlight in the Diamond Group with me. So uh, our members know you really well, but I'm glad we finally got you back on the main podcast so everybody out there could hear from you and hear about some of your interesting things. And I hope that they continue to read your stuff on the website because it does aim to make you think. And you want people that enjoy this hobby, enjoy their lives. And also... uh... Speaking of making people think, we also do the quarterly financial independence podcast, and that's a fun one as well. So if you're interested, you know, keep your eyes peeled for future uh, chances to, to join uh, Diamond. Yeah, the Diamond Group currently has a limit of the number of slots, and then if people leave, then we just let those be open. Patreon.com forward slash Miles to Memories for the Diamond Group. Miles to Memories.com for all of our posts, all of our content. That's the podcast videos, everything else. Still doing the YouTube channel for Las Vegas at youtube.com forward slash miles to memories. I do that show twice a week with Mark. So if you want to know about Las Vegas news and information, check us out there. And I'm at miles to memories all over social media. So uh, you can find us there as well. Thanks so much for coming, Benji. Really happy to have you on the show. Hopefully it won't be a few years before we have you back again. Exactly. Hopefully, hopefully uh, <laughs> it, I agree. Uh, let's just say it shouldn't be three years. If, if it's another three years, you and I need to talk, Sean. But thank you for having me. Uh, be well, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you guys next time. Oh, 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 oh,